Today we're continuing our series called I Love Church, and we'll, we'll finish it next week. But this whole month we decided to start off this new year focusing on why church is so wonderful because there's been an attitude in our culture of dismissing the church. In fact, it's, it's prevalent with every institution, from government to schools to churches, of people losing confidence in them. And you hear the arguments, you know, church is all about controlling people, church is full of hypocrites, all they want is your money and things like that, and, and people want an excuse why not to be involved in church. But when you read the scriptures, you find that God has created the church to have a very special relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, the church is called the bride of Christ. The church is called the, the body of Christ. The church is called the family of God because God has a unique relationship with this special group of people called the church. Now, the church is us gathered here. It's, it's Christians gathered in other churches all around our city or all around the world. But the church are people who seek to follow Jesus Christ. And we've come together to do that. But we've got many reasons why the church is so wonderful in our lives. We learn that, that this becomes like a second family to us. We've learned that when we come together corporately that, that we're in a better position to experience God. We learned last week from Pastor Sam about how the church reminds us of who we are, our, our identity in Christ. And today I want to talk about how the church tells us the truth. I grew up, as I've mentioned many times, in a little Methodist church in a small town in Wisconsin. I went to Sunday school I graduated through confirmation, but it wasn't until I was in youth group in high school, a non-denominational youth group, that I got exposed to some teachings of Scripture that began to honestly make me feel uncomfortable. Because here's what it did. For the first time in my life, it was revealed to me that I wasn't a Christian. Because I'd thought my whole life, because I believed in God, I believed in Jesus, I went to church that I was a Christian, and all of a sudden, I, I come to this understanding that until you actually surrender personally to the gospel, give your life to Christ, that you aren't a Christian. And that was uncomfortable, and I had to wrestle with that, but I, I did that. I surrendered my life to Christ. I wanted to do it so badly that every time I went to a place where there was an invitation, I went forward. I want to make sure if there's any doubt in God's mind, I am surrendered to Him. And then I went off to Bible college to learn about this book, the Bible, because I'd never really studied the Bible. I got a Bible when I was in third grade. In fact, I pulled it off my shelf yesterday. It's this big Bible, like this big. And it doesn't even look pretty. I mean, it's not a, it doesn't look like it's appealing to kids. I, I don't think I ever even read it. Um, but, you know, in high school, all of a sudden, this book started to speak to me. I went to Bible studies, and I was hungry for it. And I went to college, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Maybe, maybe be a teacher, maybe be a coach. I didn't know. I'd, but I did know this. I want to know more about what I'm hearing in this book because it sounds so true. And the more I align my life with it, it's doing things in me that I really like. My sophomore year, I went home to that little Methodist church, and it began to become clear to me that I'd never heard any uncomfortable truth taught in this church, that every week there were nice things said and we all left happy, but I was never like like hearing from God. And then I remember reading a newspaper article that talked about that particular church and how many didn't believe that the Bible was God's word and didn't believe in a literal resurrection from the dead and that there was a, a real hell and those kind of things. And, and I remember saying this to the Lord, that semester break, this little prayer, God, if you can use me to tell the truth, I will do it. And so I went back to college and I started taking classes on preaching and other things and and I never set out to be a preacher. All I wanted to do was tell people the truth because it changed my life. 
And really, that's what the church must do. That's what the church is called to do, to tell the truth, truth that will change our lives. And when you're in a place where the truth is being taught, you find everything starts to, to, to it's like pieces of the puzzle start to come together. And so I'm going to ask you today if you would be open to the truth about God's word and what he has to say to you and me about his church and its role in teaching us God's word today. Father, speak to us now as we read your word. Open our hearts to receive. Help us to have a holy awe when we're in your presence and an awareness that you are speaking to us through the scriptures. And even do that today, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus began his ministry, uh, he just grew a, drew a crowd, and people flocked to hear Jesus. Part of it had to do with the miracles he was performing. I mean, when you see someone healing um, the sick and raising the dead and restoring limbs to lepers, I mean, it's an attraction that you've got to see. And so people flocked to see Jesus, but also there were some other fringe benefits, like on this one day where thousands of people came to hear Jesus, and as the day wore on, they became very hungry. So Jesus took a little boy's lunch, had some fish, bread in it. He broke it, put it in baskets for his disciples and asked them to distribute it to the crowds. And as they did it, you know, the miracle, the multiplication of the fish and the loaves. Everyone was fed. There was so much food that there was actually more leftover than what they began with. But what you don't want to miss of the story is the truth Jesus taught right after it. See, Jesus began to tell them, you all are enjoying this food right now and the bread that I gave you to eat. But God has a bread from heaven that will satisfy you not for one day or for a few hours, but forever. I give you bread from heaven, a bread that satisfies you spiritually. And Jesus began to tell them that they needed to eat of this bread and consume it in their lives. And if they would do it, they would be transformed. And people began to be confused about it, be be a little offended by it. Sounds a little bit like cannibalism, to eat of Jesus, to eat him like bread, and that... That sounds too deep for me. And, and, and Jesus said, these words I speak to you are full of spirit and life. And yet people turned away by the thousands. They just left Jesus. So many left that Jesus turned to his own disciples and says, what are you guys going to do? And I love what Peter said back to Jesus. John chapter 6. Jesus says in verse 68, to Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, Jesus, this is, this is difficult and this is hard to understand, but where else are we going to go? Who else is going to tell us this kind of stuff, the stuff that's really true? Where are we going to go and find someone who has a voice like yours? No, we're staying right here. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Don't walk away when it's confusing or frustrating because our great and immediate need is to know the truth. We need to know the truth. Why is that? Because the world is filled with lies. I mean, it is hard today to know what is true and what's not true. I mean, when it comes to medical stuff, you know, one day red wine's good, next day red wine's bad, and then genetically modified foods are good and genetically modified foods are bad, and and we get confused on the labels and we get confused uh, from our politicians and, and we get confused in the teaching that comes across. We don't really know what's true and what's not. I mean, how many of you have grown up hearing these things? God has the perfect person out there just for you. That sounds good. And I know the intent is 
Is, we want you to have hope that there's that guy or girl for you that's out there, that God has planned for you, and you, you, someday your paths will come together and you'll meet. Now, that sounds beautiful and sounds very poetic and romantic, but nowhere in Scripture are we told that God has the per- person there for you. That what God tells us is to be the mature person so that we could be fit for the mate. And God wants us to grow personally. Maybe we'd be better off telling people to focus on you and what God wants you to be. And when you do that, God will bring the right person into your life. We tell kids oftentimes, you can be anything you want to be. Don't you know that there are limitations? Size, weight, intellect, skills. Is it, can you really be anything? Well, we want people to aspire to great things. That's good. Tell them to aspire to great things. Maybe we should tell them, you can try anything you want to try. But really, can you be anything? We, we, we know a lot of people go to, go to college thinking they're going to be pro football players, and most, most don't play for pro football. So you can attempt anything, but you can't necessarily be anything you want to be. Here's what I hear. In fact, I've heard it recently. Everything happens for a reason. And, and when people say that, they're indicating, well, God has a plan, and this bad thing that happened or this turn of events is all part of God's master plan. And in a sense, yes, God, God in his will allowed it to happen. But, you know, a lot of things happen because we make dumb choices. That's the reason. It's not that God intended it to happen that way. It's just that God allows us to make decisions, and that's the reason why things happen the way they did. And I know the intent is we want to feel like God's in control. God is in control, and we're surrendered to him in our particular lives. Lives are so, lies are so common. I mean, we, we even spew them out without even thinking about it. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Hey, let's, let's, uh, let's get together. That first date, hey, I'll give you a call. The check is in the mail. Call me if you need anything. Really? I need $10,000. Can, can I call you? Well, no, no, no. Can I call you at 2 in the morning? Not 2 in the morning. Can I... No, there's conditions. I mean, I think we do that because we just want to feel good about ourselves and it's become just a a way of life. Uh, We don't even know when we turn on the news. Is that station telling us the truth or is that station telling us the truth? Is that politician telling us the truth or is that politician telling us the truth? Is that scientist telling us the truth or is that scientist? I mean, we're so confused. We don't know who's telling us the truth. And like junk food... Lies will destroy you eventually. They'll destroy your soul. All this begins with how we respond to God's revelation of himself. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that God has made himself clearly known through the things that have been made. I mean, I look, and my wife and I went to Texas last week, and we went down to the, we'd never seen the Gulf Coast. You know, I look at the, the water, and I see the beaches and the birds, and I say, man, isn't God awesome? Is there any body of, of, of land, any, any planet anywhere, anything out there in the solar system that looks anything like Earth, anything, even close? There's nothing. The beauty of the colors, the animals, the creatures, the buildings that, that God's people have made, there's nothing that compares. And yet people go around today saying it's all accident. It's all by chance. It's all just happened. And I think, boy, it's, it's so obvious to me that we are not here by accident. It is so obvious that God in nature is screaming out that, hello, everybody, 
This was designed this way. By a powerful God. And so here's what it says. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They didn't want to accept it. They didn't want to follow it. It says, we like the other version of the story better. And so as a result of it, verse 21 says this. It says, in their, their, their hearts, or their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Things became very confusing. Things became fuzzier and fuzzier. Why? Because they started off saying, we don't want to believe the truth. We don't want to accept the truth about who God is. My wife and I watched the inauguration on Friday, and I, I like the fact that in our country there's a peaceful transfer of power, and there's dignity, and, and there's some tradition. And one of the traditions, and this isn't required by law, but the tradition has been that the president who takes the oath of office puts his hand on a book. And notice, it's not the Declaration of Independence, though that's very special to our country. It's not the Constitution. It's not even the art of the deal. You know, they, they place their hand on, on the Bible. Why is that? Well, part of it is because they recognize that I am making a commitment to the God of the Bible. My, my promise is not just to the American people, it's to God. But there's another reason. This book has been very significant in shaping this country. And though people will dismiss it and say that religion doesn't have a part in it, you go back and look at the Founding Fathers' documents. There's no book quoted more than the Scriptures. In fact, John Adams, our second president, said this, the Bible is the best book in the world. This is an important book to our country. How much more important is it to us as Christians? Why is that? Because it speaks truth, truth from God. When the Bible speaks, it's true. Does the Bible have all truth? No. There's a lot of truth about stuff. I mean, the Bible would be, I mean, how big would the Bible have to be to contain all truth? It doesn't. It contains the truth that's essential for you and I to know how to relate to our Creator and how to relate to one another. That's the focus of this book, how we relate to one another. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's writing to this young pastor. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We have this great need to know the truth because you can't fix what you don't know is broken. You can't address something that you don't know is a problem. And the truth exposes the problems to us, helps us to see reality, and then respond to it. So where do we find God's truth? In this book called the Bible. Jesus said, your word is truth. John 17. Your word is truth. When God speaks, it's true. So what does that mean to the church? Well, I think it's very significant because of all the institutions in this planet, next to the family, the only one given the charge to convey God's word to people is the church. The church's role is to deliver and to defend the, tr the truth. Churches can do a lot of good things, a lot of wonderful things. Um, comfort the grieving. Feed the poor. Teach the children. Help counsel and repair marriages. Help us overcome addiction. All, all these things. Learn to manage finances biblically. All these things. These are good things. These are great things that the church does. But if the church fails to do this one key thing, the church will fail in its mission. And its key thing is this. It must deliver and defend the truth. Because everything is based upon that. And what happens when we stray from that is we lose our power and authority. 
We saw this a little over 100 years ago in what became known as the social gospel. Many churches believed that Christians needed to get out of their building and address the problems in the culture, which was a very good thing. Our, our faith is to be both belief and deed, and we need to show people that our, our faith can impact the world. And so people got out of churches and began to feed the poor and educate the uneducated and, and do ministry out in the community. But then the pendulum swung way over to where all of a sudden transforming the culture became bigger and more important than transforming individual lives. And pretty soon, pastors were no longer preaching the gospel. They're, 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 they, were, they were preaching to social issues and political issues. And people began to hear that they weren't so bad and God wasn't so mad after all. That, that their sin issue wasn't really that big of an issue. And that they weren't going to go to hell over it. That, that God actually loved everybody and everyone was a one big brotherhood. And we just need to do nice things for each other. And then the church lost its ability to transform individual lives. And you see that today in a lot of denominations who got pulled into the social gospel movement to where you'll find that they split oftentimes. There's a liberal church and there's a conservative church. And you'll find that the conservative church elevates the authority of this book because they believe that we cannot silence the truth of God's Word because it's truth. Chuck Colson, in his book, The Body, says, the pastor is not, only, is not the only one who petitions God on the congregation's behalf, but he is God's voice to the congregation that is charged with preaching the truth. The call to preach cannot be undertaken lightly. It is the most awesome trust. He says, like an ambassador, the pastor doesn't make up the message. He must deliver it faithfully. That's why, in, again, Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy was a young preacher. And Paul gives some instructions in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. In other words, Timothy, do your job. Study the scriptures. Dig into it. Make sure you convey to people what I'm saying. This is a, this is a serious task. Now, if you're a military um, commander, leader, you've got men and women underneath you, that's an important charge. Sometimes you, you lead them in, into places uh, that are very deadly. If you're a bus driver, you've got children behind you in those seats. You recognize when you get out on those snowy roads that there are lives at stake. It's, it's, a, it's a serious job. I can't imagine what it's like to be an airline pilot flying a 747 with a few hundred passengers on board realizing that I better be at my best. I better be alert because all these passengers are counting on me to land this plane safely. And you know, I feel some of that, some of that tension when, when I prepare a message because anybody who teaches or preaches God's word realizes that this is serious work. We can't take it lightly. We are representing God. We don't want to misrepresent God. We don't want to say it the wrong way. We want to be used as his instrument. One of the greatest preachers of history was a man named Charles Spurgeon. Charles uh, was a fantastic preacher. He's got volumes of his sermons that are available today. He's the most quoted preacher of history. And back in a day when mega churches didn't exist, he had a membership in his church of over 5,000 people. Charles Spurgeon was known as a great preacher, and he says this, to preach the whole truth of God is an awful charge. No wonder Moses said, God, I, I can't do this. I, I'm not eloquent. It's why Isaiah said, woe to me, I, I've got unclean lips. 
It's why the Apostle Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners, and yet, yet he's given me this incredible task of being a herald of his truth. It is a, it is a, it's a difficult process to present God's truth to other people. And, and you probably have, have, have no, no idea what it's like for Sam or Matt or myself to, to cry out to God in the middle of the week and say, God, speak to me. Your people are hungry, and I don't want to miss out this opportunity. I don't want to give leftovers. I don't want to just present a nice talk. They can get that on TV. They can get that on the news. They can read a self-help book. But I want to be faithful in delivering your truth. And the fearful thing is, what if we do it wrong? God, what if I, missay, what if I mislead someone? Because honestly, there, there are eternal issues at stake. For someone, this very day could be the line between heaven and hell, a decision for God or a decision against God. And so we recognize the fact that this is a serious, serious work. Handling God's word to me is like working with electricity. We have a, a new stove. Actually, it's a used stove, but new to us. And we were getting ready to put it in our kitchen the other day. And just as we were getting ready to plug in that cord, we noticed the new stove has four prongs and the outlet on the floor has three holes. And so I, I, I went to that source of all truth, YouTube, and I watched some videos. <laughs> you learn a lot, a lot of stuff on YouTube. A lot of weird stuff, but a lot of good stuff too. And what I heard when I watched those videos on YouTube is, this is 220, be very careful. You know, I, I, I don't mind dealing with some plumbing issues and, and using power tools and cutting boards and, and swinging hammers. I, I, I love all that stuff. I just don't like electricity a whole lot. And the reason I don't like playing with electricity is because it's dangerous. You can, you can get hurt playing with electricity. You touch the wires the wrong way, you put something in the wrong place, and you could get zapped. And 110 is bad enough. 220, you know, it can bounce you a little bit. And people have died mishandling electricity. So I just, I'm very cautious. I have this holy reverence about electricity because there's power. I love what it does. I love what electricity, electricity makes a room bright. Electricity keeps, keeps things running. Electricity helps me watch my football game this afternoon. I love electricity. <laughs> but electricity can be deadly. God's word is powerful. It is unlike any book you'll ever read. God, God, God's book is anointed by God to do something in you and me that's supernatural. And that's why we carefully handle God's word. Listen to what Paul said. He wrote to this church in Thessalonica, and he describes what God's word did. He says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. These weren't just words. If all we had to do is present a nice talk, put together some poems, some, some, some stories, and illustrate it, that would be easy to do. But to be in a place where you recognize God wants to use this. God wants to use his word. And as we lay out God's word, he wants to use it to penetrate people's lives and to cause deep conviction. You know that. And many of you know that God's word can do that. I never heard that in the church growing up. I honestly can say of all the sermons I ever heard in my church growing up, never once did I walk out with conviction. Not once. And we believe that if God's truth is real, if it's being presented accurately, it will penetrate. In fact, the Bible says it's like a 
It's like a knife that cuts down to dividing soul and spirit. And like a surgeon who will take his sharp instrument and cut away cancerous mole or enable him to do surgery, so God's word will cut, will cause some pain, but for good because God is wanting to do spiritual surgery on our lives. And whenever there is this deep conviction, the deep conviction is, is when we're, we're disturbed, is something is wrong, I've got to respond to this. We naturally cry out, God, what should we do? We find that in Scripture when people were convicted, their response was, God, what do you want me to do next? What's my next step? And that's what you know when we come to the response time in a service. That's when you know there's been conviction because God's been speaking and you've been hearing and something's been happening in your heart and you have to respond. That's God's word. It's powerful. It will change your life. That's when some would say preaching gets to meddling. When it gets personal and the issues of my life. But you know what? God loves you, loves me enough to meddle because he wants to fix what's broken. He wants to cut out what's bad. I love this proverb, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. It just says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, you'll have people in your life who who will smother you with affection, who will affirm you constantly, who will make you feel good and loved. But he says, they don't really love you. Because the true friend sometimes will tell you something that'll hurt you. They'll inflict wounds, not because they delight in it, but because they love you enough to tell you the truth. Do you have someone in your life like that who says, I believe God wants this for you? And it may feel uncomfortable, it may be disruptive, but it's God's truth. He wants what's best for you. Because here's what God's truth will do for you. God's truth can do so many good things for you. I want to read to you just one passage. It's a short passage from the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 19, David writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Now, I'm just going to stop there. Four verses, four different pictures of God's Word. Now, he uses things like law, statutes, precepts, commands, These are all words to describe the very same thing, God's truth, God's word. He says, first of all, the the law of the Lord is perfect. That that means it's, it's, it's fully mature, it's thorough. It does its work that it needs to do. God's word accomplishes a grand purpose in our lives. And what is that? Refresh the soul. Or I like how some other versions of the Bible say, converts the soul or transforms the soul. So you and I have a body, we have a spirit, and we have a soul. And psychology can help us dealing with the, 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 the spirit part of our lives, the emotional things that we deal with, and, and doctors can deal with the physical things. But this book penetrates down to the soul. There's no other book ever given among men that, that, that deals with the issues of your soul like the Scriptures. And when you listen to it, when you respond to it, it, it converts it. It transforms your soul. It refreshes you. It says that the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. I mean, you can count on it. You can bet on it. God's saying what what needs to be said. And it says it makes wise the simple. And that word simple is a word from which we get simpleton, someone who's, who's just very elementary, how they look at things. And actually, the word means to be open. It means to be totally open. 
Now, we would think that openness is a virtue. In fact, people will say, man, you, you need to be more open-minded, right? Sounds like a virtue. You need to be open-minded. You know what the most open thing in the world is? Trash can. It takes in anything. Now, let me ask you, have, have, you, have you ever put your head into a trash can and sniffed around a little bit? Yeah, it, it just stinks. It stinks. I want to tell you, it is not the most virtuous thing to be open-minded. It's a virtuous thing to be selective. Store in your mind treasures, not garbage. Put in the good things. That's why we're told, think about those things that are lovely, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy, that are true. Think about those things. That's what we need to be open about. Not, not everything out there is worth devoting our time and attention to. He says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. In other words, happiness is a byproduct of following the right path God has laid out for us. When you begin to see your soul converted, when you begin to have the wisdom of the Lord guiding you, the the natural result is joy. I have to tell you, I have 10 times, maybe 50 times more joy in my life since I've been incorporating this book into my life than before. Since I've been following the Lord and seeking to to bring the Scriptures into my life, I have far more happiness than I ever had before. God wants us to have joy, and joy comes through His precepts. He says, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Uh, God's Word is like a bright light, and it opens us to see things as they really are. It's kind of like in the morning when the sun comes out and, and burns the fog away. God's truth does that. It burns the fog. All of a sudden, things begin to make sense. Now, I know some of you would say, well, Pastor, I have a hard time understanding the Scriptures. I have a hard time, you know, just getting all that truth. It's just just really challenging for me. I'm a little confused by some of it, and I get that. There, There are some things that, you know, it takes a lot of study and time to learn. But I also know this. The world's very confusing, and the world's very frustrating, And it wasn't until I began to understand this book that I began to have these aha moments of that's why the world is the way it is. That's how marriage should work. That's why that thing's broken and isn't working better. It's like, yeah, it's it's confusing out there and it's confusing in here, but there's far more sensibility when you're in line with the Scripture than outside of it. It's why people often say to me, Pastor, I don't know how people without the Lord deal with it. Because we recognize the fact that Scripture helps us. Well, if you go further down in the same chapter, David writes, speaking of the Scriptures, By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward, but who can discern their own errors? See, the Scriptures are given to warn us and reward us. And why do we need the Scriptures? Because we can't discern ourselves. You ever heard that advice, follow your heart? Sounds good. Sounds, sounds, sounds romantic. Just follow your heart. You know, your heart's going to take you in the right direction. But you know what the Bible says about the heart? It is deceitful above all things. Your own heart is deceitful. We are never told in Scripture to follow your heart. You're told to follow the Lord with all your heart. Because only God knows what's best. Only God knows what is good for us. And see, when you follow your heart, and some of you have experienced this, when you follow your heart and you make decisions based on that, you end up making some pretty bad decisions. You end up feeling trapped. You get yourself in this hole that you can't get out of. But here's what God's Word does. Jesus said, you are are my disciples if you do this, if you hold to my teachings. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, 
And here's what the truth will do. The truth will set you free. Our job as pastors, as teachers, is to present God's truth so you can hear his voice and respond to him. And for some of you, you need just to give your life to Christ. Believing in Jesus isn't enough. I just want to be very frank with you. I grew up believing that. It's not enough. You will miss out on heaven if you simply believe that there's a God that Jesus died on the cross. You have to surrender your life to him. The Bible says if you confess him as your Lord, you repent of your sins, surrender to him, you'll be saved. We demonstrate that submission in this act called baptism. You know, I've had people sometimes struggle and say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe that. And I'm okay with that. I say, take your Bible, go study it. Tell me what, tell me what you find after you study it. Over again, people come back and say, I need to give my life to Christ. I need to be baptized. Because God word, God's word is true. And it transforms the soul. For some of you in this place, you've been following the Lord for a long time. But this word has become a dusty book on the shelf. And God wants to speak to you afresh. God wants you to respond to him. He wants you to find the joy of aligning your life. So you have a choice. You can either align your life with God's word or twist God's word to fit your lifestyle. And that never works. God's word will disturb. You know, Christmas Eve... I was debating whether I should say something or not. And if you were here Christmas Eve, you rem- re- might remember the sermon was about the, the wise men, and it was about King Herod. There was a point in the sermon where I told the congregation, some of you are like the wise men. You are hungry for Jesus. You are looking to, to lay everything at the feet of Jesus, and that is a wonderful place to be. But some of you are like Herod, watching from a distance. You're content with your, with your spiritual rituals, and that's all you want. In fact, you're here on Christmas Eve, and we probably won't see you again until next year on Christmas Eve. Or maybe we'll see you in Easter. But the fact that you don't want to come back to church the rest of the weeks of the year tells me you're more like Herod than the wise men. And I knew that some people would be offended, and some people might say, well, I'm not going to go back to that church because it's too offensive, but you're not going to come back anyway till next Christmas, so <laughs> what are we missing? And you know, sometimes on a Sunday, someone will get up and actually walk out of church and in my head, I'm thinking, what did I just say that they got up? I hope they're using their restroom. Surely they'll come back, and they don't, and it may have been offensive. But you know what? I love the fact some of you are sitting in places you can't get out. When you come on Sunday morning, you are stuck here, and you must listen to God's Word. That's a great thing, right? And if you bring friends to church, make sure they're not sitting on the end of the aisle, okay? Make sure they hear God's Word. But if you're hearing His Word... Don't be offended. In fact, here's some things that I think each of us should do. Four little steps. Open your heart and mind to God's Word. It's like seed that's sown. The more the soil is open, the more the seed will penetrate. Trust God no matter how uncomfortable it is. If it hurts, it's probably God saying it's because there's something that's unhealthy in you that needs to be cut out. Align your life with it. Know that He's a good, good Father. He wants good for you. And then be willing to take a stand on it. This is so critical because many of us feel like, well, it's good for me. I know this is what the Bible says to me. No, no, no. This is what the Bible says. It is not just for you. It is for your kids. It is for your friends. It is for everyone. If it's true, it's true, right? So let's not be afraid to stand. We don't have to be obnoxious. We don't have to, to be Bible thumpers. But don't be ashamed to say, this is what God says about marriage. 
This is what God says about abortion. This is what God says about immigration. This is what God says about loving people, about the poor and all that. This is what God says, and that's what I believe because it's true. When God speaks, it's true, and I'm going to align my life to his truth. So I guess what we're saying to you today is align your life with God's truth. Whatever he's saying to you this morning, say yes to him.